for an update on on David. Can you hear me? Yep. Yes, go ahead. Uh, I think you all know he had second surgery, second emergency sur surgery. He's uh, the doctors say he's improving. So do the nurses. Um, I think he's improving too. He's getting a little bit stronger every day. This is going to be a real long road for him to recovery. But uh, he does need, still needs prayer because of, uh, he gets, maybe it's a guy thing. You have to be in control and he's not in control. He's laying there hooked up to a thousand different things. And uh, it, it's very, very difficult for him. Um, yesterday he said, uh, I feel so lost. And uh, you could tell, you could see why. Um, and not, not knowing if anything else is going to happen to him. Big bang boom, he said, Second surgery, the colostomy, I think the first surgery was going in and putting in the shot. Yeah, the first surgery was the, the artery, the mesenteric artery. Second surgery was the uh, perforated colon. So, but he is, he is on the mend. It's just going to take a while. And, and uh, my little brother is not particularly patient. So it's, <laughs> it's going to be, uh, and, well, either is his sister. So <laughs> uh, it, it'll take a while. And he, he is so mad. Uh, where Matt, Matt, David asked me to have Matt say something. So he really is appreciative of all the prayers of the, of the believers. And, uh, you know, at this time he's, you know, kind of low. <laughs> you might understand that anybody that's going through something similar. Uh, so let's really uh, just remember him in prayer continually and uh, maybe if it's appropriate we'll just pray right now uh, for Dave our father we're just grateful that we can have this opportunity together this morning to, and to remember your son and what he has done for us and father when we see one of our brothers who's suffering and we begin to enter into a little bit more into what our Lord passed through for us and we see the hurt we see the pain and we feel the hurt and the pain in our own souls as we watch one of our loved ones, our brothers, our sisters suffer in the body. And Lord, we would just pray for Dave today. Pray, Lord, that he would have uh, a, a strong sense of your presence with him even there in the hospital. Pray, Lord, that you would just draw near even now to him and comfort him and give him peace. Help him to be patient, Lord. So many of us bullheaded men, we struggle with that, the ability to be patient. And Lord, we just ask that you would be with him. Um, pray that you would raise him up and that again, he might be able to gather here with us uh, to remember our Lord. Lord, we just pray that you give Clay help now in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you very much. Okay. I trust everyone can hear me. If you can't wave or, or do something um, to help 
We're looking at John 17. Hopefully we're going to conclude the upper room ministry of the Lord Jesus. We've been on it for um, quite a while. But today, but today we should come to a conclusion. We're going to start reading with verse 18 of John 17. John 17 and verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for they, their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may... believe that you have sent me the glory that you have given me i have given to them that may be that they may be one even as we are one i in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me father i desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where i am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love that which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And the Lord will add a blessing to the reading of his word. A quick review, since we have some new folks who haven't, who weren't with us be, before. In verse 15, the Lord was not of the world in contrast to Satan, the prince of this world. In verse 14, we read the disciples were not of this world as unbelievers are at, are at the world. In verse 18, in chapter 18 and verse 6, it says the Lord's kingdom is not of this world in contrast to the kingdom of Rome, which was of this world. And He's giving them these final instructions, particularly about the world and their and their being in the world. His desire, though, is that they would be in in verse 15. He says, "I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one." He had a purpose for the disciples remaining in the world, and we see that as we pick it up in in verse 15. The vine will was not to take the disciples out of this world when the son left this world. The divine intent was to keep them from the evil one. <clears throat> Excuse me. The disciples were like were to be like the Lord Jesus in that they were in the world, but not of the world. There was to be complete separation from the moral and spiritual evil of this world. In order to be separate from the world, separation to God is to be sanctified there's a necessary process of it being sanctified by the word. And that's where we finished up last week. That's a review. Now we're going to start with verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. The Lord is praying that just as he was sent into the world, he was going to send the disciples into this world. So these separated, sanctified men were sent into the world. Like the Lord Jesus, his disciples were to be an ambassador from heaven 
representing their Lord to return to heaven in a world of men dominated by Satan. Just as the Lord Jesus came to proclaim the Father, he's now sending out his disciples to proclaim the Son and the Father. Just as he was the ambassador from heaven, he's now sending these men out to be his ambassador. So the final instructions are as they are to be his ambassador. Verse 19. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. The Son is our ultimate example of being holy. He was sanctified, set apart to God, unique, holy. The ESV, which I'm reading out of, calls it consecrated. Hebrews 7.26 tells us this, For it was indeed fitting that, he should have, that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. We have a high priest who is fully sanctified. Fully sanctified. He sanctified himself that we might be sanctified. Sanctification in scripture means to be set apart for God. Holiness in life and conduct that should accompany our position of being set apart to God. It's not only being set apart. So there, there were holy vessels that were set apart in the tabernacle. It's not just being set apart, it's also then being used for holy purposes and being holy in purpose and holy in use. Sanctification means practical separation from anything that is not consistent with the holy God. We struggle as human beings with sanctification on a daily basis. We talked about that when we when we talked about being cleansed, that we were we were bathed once for all and set apart and sanctified as a once for all act, but there's a continual need to have our feet washed because we're constantly coming into contact with the world. So there are four aspects of sanctification in the New Testament. One's primary in Ephesians 1, 4, and 1 Peter 1, 2. In God's plan and purpose, it was for us to be sanctified. That's why when Paul writes the Corinthians, he can call them saints. You read the book of Corinthians and they don't seem very saintly. They don't seem very sanctified. But before God and his purpose, they were sanctified. Positional in 1 in Corinthians 6.11 occurs at, at conversion. That's what we're talking about, being sanctified once for all, being bathed. But it's also practical and progressive and ongoing sanctification as we become more like Christ. It's a continually need on a daily basis to become more like Christ. It's a continually need for us to deal with sin on a daily basis and put it away, to wash ourselves through the washing of the water of the word, through the washing of the Holy Spirit. And then finally, there will be perfected sanctification, which we'll read about, I think, in the end at the rapture where we will be like him forever because we'll see him as he is. There, there is coming a time, thank God, when we will no longer have to deal with sin, where the sin question and the need to be cleansed on a daily basis. We see this pictured in Revelation because before the throne of God, we see before the throne of God a crystal sea. The crystal sea speaks of the lab, labor as part of the tabernacle. The labor was for washing. When we get to heaven, there will no longer be a need for washing. And so we see that the, 
that what represented washing on the earth is now a crystal sea. It's not something you wash in because we're not, we're going to be sin free. I, I don't know if you thought about that, considered that, look forward to that as much as I do, that there's coming a day when I will be sin free. A wonderful thought. It's great that our sins will be no longer remembered, but I remember every time I sin and the filthiness that it brings into my life but there's coming a day where I'll no longer have to deal with sin. So let's pick this up where we're left off at verse 20. And I do not ask for these only, but also that that believe in them through their word. So it, the, the, Jesus' intercession and prayer for his disciples showed a humble submissiveness to the Father. He's praying to the Father, asking in humility on behalf of the disciples. You might ask yourself, why ask something that is within your power to do? Is it because you are humbling yourself as the Lord Jesus is doing here in his prayer? I don't know if when you pray, if you say, well, I don't need to pray about that because it's in my power to do that. But here we see a, a dependence on God that comes about when we pray for something we have the ability to do anyway. It's that dependence on God when we're praying, even if we have the power and the ability to do it, we're still asking God for his direction, for him to do what he. Since the Lord Jesus came to reveal God to us, one of the things that he reveals about God's character is that of humility. It's beyond my ability to comprehend what a magnificent God we have. I, I fully don't understand a humble God, but I understand that God is a patient, long-suffering, God, who deals with me in grace. And when the Lord Jesus revealed the heart of the Father, one of the things he revealed to us is a, is a heart of humility. His prayer is not restricted to the 11 disciples that were listening to him at this time. It was for those that would come to believe through the testimony of the disciples. That would include us. So even there, just before he died, the Lord Jesus had us on mind. There's, there's a song that says that when he went to the cross, he had me on his mind. Well, in many ways, this, this prayer and this time of this, this prayer to the Father, this time when he's drawn back to the curtain, we've entered into this intimate conversation between the Son and the Father. He had us on his mind when he's praying because he includes us in his prayer. He's now the high priest, and, and as we know, as we know as a high priest, he definitely has us in the, his prayers, but here he has us in his prayers here before the cross. God, God's plan from the beginning at these 11 that the gospel would go forth. That's the way, reason he left them in the world, because it was through them the gospel would go forth. These verses tell us that we are on his, uh, sorry, Paul was called and sent forth to preach the gospel as one called out of due time. Paul was also one that was called, but he wasn't called at this point. He was called later, but he was sent forth to preach the gospel. Verse 21. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The essential request for this in this prayer is for unity. 
the oneness of God, Godhead is a prime example of oneness. You might ask how it might be possible or that it's or that it's an unachievable goal. We struggle with unity. But our unity must be rooted in the unity of the Father and the Son. There was humble submission on the part of the Son and loving authority on the part of the Father. We are talking about men. We men have a hard time going to the doctor when we're sick. We have a hard time recognizing when we're ill and we struggle when we are ill with our, with our loss of control and our inability to be a he-man. Men particularly struggle with this idea of humility and submission. We're used to being in control. We're used to having our way. We really struggle with this idea of humility and submission. But our prime example is Jesus, who always desired to the will of the Father, and by doing so, he glorified the Father. None of the unity of those who claim to be Christians, but the unity of true believers. It's not the unity of those who name the name of Christ. It's a, name, it's a true unity of those who believe they're Christian. We've had many attempts at unification of the visual church. Most of those don't know Christ, and their attempts at unity have not been based on truth. They've been based on, on, on attempts to get along. We're not talking, this unity here is based upon the word of truth. This unity is based upon the fact that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. This unity must be based on truth. Unity without truth is falsehood. And so he's not talking about unity at the, at the expense of truth. He's talking about unity with truth. Unity of thought and purpose without compromising the truth is our goal. Unity with a thought and purpose without compromising the truth is our goal. We're commanded to unity. Ephesians 4.3 says, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of space. Unity is something we've been given. It's our job to maintain it. Once again, a major struggle, but it's our job to maintain it. But sadly, we have failed in this area as well. While unity is difficult to achieve, it is well worth the effort. The Lord prays that we might be unified so that the world might believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. How sad to know that our disunity is a hindrance to the gospel. Disunity is a hindrance to the gospel. John 13, 34 and 35 says this, a, man, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Part of unity is love. If we love one another, we would be unified. If we love one another, the world will know we're his disciples. If we love one another and we are unified, the world will know that we are his. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. It's interesting this morning, we talked quite a bit about this idea of glory, which is I thought for a while you were going to preach my message for me and you came close. So I won't cover the same ground on glory all over again. 
but we often refer to our light uh, of our testimony as a light shining forth in the world of darkness. The Lord Jesus showed forth the glory of God. First John 4 and 5, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. John 1 and 14, and the world became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Scott read that this morning. As the glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. Three of the disciples got to see his glory, and Peter writes of it as, as, as being eyewitnesses of his majesty. Not, not the word made flesh, not the humble person who walked this earth, but they got to see him in his glorified form there on the mount. And the prayer here is, that he would be glorified. So let's let's look at this again. Verse 22, the glory that you've given me, I've given to them that they be me one, even as we are one. The glory that he's given to us, our glory is reflective glory, sort of like the moon reflects the light of the sun. We don't per personally have the glory in us, but we have the ability to reflect that glory. We've been made partakers of the divine nature. We have the Holy Spirit within us. We have Christ in us, as we're going to read in this passage. Because of that, we are able to reflect that glory, the glory of the Father, the glory of the Son, to the world around us. We do so by the light that we shine, just as the light that he shined in darkness. We have that ability to reflect that glory. His prayer for us is that we'll reflect that glory. How do we do that? The closer we draw to the person of Christ, the more Christ-like we become, the more unified we will be. When we hold on to our selfishness and pettiness, the less Christ-like we are and the less unified we will be. It's as we draw together as the Father and the Son are one, and that's our example, we can be one. Verse 23, in them and in I in them and you in me that you may be, become perfectly one so the world may know that you sent me and love them as you have loved me. I don't know if you've thought about this, but we have a unity with the Father and with the Son that should extend to each of us as brethren. That unity we have should extend. John put it this way in 1 John 1, 2, and 3. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to you. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We have a unity with the Father and the Son. John calls it fellowship, kononia in the Greek, sharing in common, a common communion. We have that opportunity to share that same fellowship we have with the Father and with the Son with each other. With each other. And what he's praying here is that the fellowship is based on Christ being in God and our being in Christ. 
Christ being in God and our being in Christ. What a great position we have. Colossians 1.27 says this, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 1 Corinthians 1.30 and 31. I love this verse. It's a verse I love to I love to explain eternal security from this passage in 1 Corinthians. We are in Christ. Once you are in Christ, you can never be removed from Christ. You are you are in fellowship with the Father and with the Son. Your position in Christ is not something that can ever be lost. And we are not responsible. This is a great passage. It says that no glory, no, no flesh will glory in his presence. If there's anything I can do to earn my way into God's presence, I would be able to say, look at me, I made it. Look what I did. But instead, we're going to see that it's because of our position in Christ, 1 Corinthians 1, 30 and 31. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Everything I have, wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, is because I'm in Christ. There is no room for boasting. There's no room for glory. And there would be only one glory. And that's the glory of the Lord Jesus. It's our being in Christ, which will ultimately bring us to maturity. And Paul writes this in First Philippians 1, 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The more we mature, the more we become like Christ, the more we will have the mind of Christ, the more we will let the influence dominate our thinking. And the result is that the world will know that Jesus Christ was sent from God that he loves us and the Father loved the Son. We will be unified. If Christ is on the throne of our lives, we will be united in purpose and mission, and we will be unified. Verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with, with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundations of the world. <clears throat> this is the only place in this whole prayer that he expresses his desire. Everything else is asking for the Father, but here he expresses his desires that those who come to believe will be with him where he is at. We sometimes sing a song that his joy our joy will be that we will be in his presence. His joy will be that we are there. His desire is for us to be with him. I don't know if you've thought about that, but we read in Hebrews that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. That joy was for him to have eternal fellowship with him, us in heaven. And that's his prayer here. But not only does he desire to be with them, but we share his glory 
that he is because the Father loves the Lord Jesus before the foundation of the world. The reason we share his glory because the Father loved the Lord Jesus before the foundation of the world. Earlier, we read as we went through this upper room ministry that he was going to the cross because he loved the Father. We are entered into that mutual love of the Father and the Son, and we should love each other like the Father loves the Son. We are the gift that the Father gave the Son, in a sense, we are his crowning glory. We are invited into a love relationship between the Father and the Son. That is why our loving each other is foundational to our being like him and our being one. They were in perfect unity because of their love for each other. We should find unity because of our love for each other. The, God, the love of God is not like the love of this world because it shares it all, all it has with those that are loved. We are so selfish that we struggle to see other people succeed and do well. We struggle to share the love with each other, but that simply was not true of the Lord Jesus. Verse 25, a righteous father even though the world does not know you, I know you, and those, these know that you have sent me. The world does not know our God, but the Son knows the Father, and the Father knows the Son. Matthew eleven twenty five and 27. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone who the Son chooses to reveal him. The world did not know the Father. The Son knows the Father, and these know that you have sent me. When we know that he came from the Father to reveal the Father, then we know the Father. We read, Jeff read the verse earlier that this is life eternal, that we might know the Father and the Son whom they have sent. Do you realize that life eternal is not just a time frame, but it's a quality of life that we know the Father, that we've been invited into this intimate love relationship with the Father and the Son? What a tremendous position. What? I, I'm reminded of the verse in Psalm 69 where it says, I. I restored that which I took not away. We are given such a much greater position than Adam ever had. Christ in us, the Holy Spirit, a, a, new, a new creation because of Christ's death at the cross. What a tremendous position we have. What a tremendous gracious God we have. He could have just saved us from our sins. He could have just remembered our sins no more, but he didn't leave us there. Christ has made us co-heirs with him and has shared everything that he has with us, including ultimately his glory he will share with us. 
verse 26, I may know unto them your name. This, this idea of name has come up through this passage again and again and again. We talked about it, praying his name. I've made known your name. I've made known who you are. You know, they said, show us the father. And he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. You've seen my works and you've seen my words. I made known unto you your name. We know who the father is because of Jesus Christ. What a tremendous thing. And I will continue to make it known that the love that which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. We have a God who's just not created us and then stood back, but who's dynamic and alive, who's at work in the world and in our lives. What an opportunity we have to make our Savior known to the world and through that knowledge come to know the living God. The teaching of their upper room is so that the disciples, and that includes us, might be prepared to take the message of Jesus Christ to the world. Christ came as a word of God made flesh that we might comprehend the creator and sovereign God over all. And that is a message that we carry into this world. He prepared his disciples to carry that message forth. His desire for us is that we would be where he would be. And his prayer for us is that we might be unified. That we might be unified. We have failed so miserably in that area. But we have an opportunity to work together, to strive together, to draw near to Christ so that we might be unified like the Father and the Son is unified. It's been a blessing to me to study this with you. I would pray that you've been blessed by our looking at the Word of God. May the Holy Spirit apply these lessons to our lives. Let's, let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that you are God who loves us, that you've been in, invited us into this mutual love relationship you have with your son, that you've made us partakers, that your son is looking forward to us being with him. And so, Father, we're so thankful, it says, is to be absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord, that we will ever be with him, that we will no longer deal with the sin issue, Father, because we will be in his presence where there will be no sin. We thank you that he was our example of sanctification, that he was holy without sin, that there was no guile found in him, that he was perfect. And Father, we thank you for this prayer, this high priestly prayer as he prays for us. Oh, Father, may we take it to heart. May we realize what his desire is. May we realize what he was praying for us, Father, and that we would walk in unity and love for each other. Father, we, we would pray for our brother Dave. We know that he's been a, a, a strong man and he's been laid low by this weakness. We would pray, Father, that he would be able to say, like Paul, that in that your grace is strong during our weaknesses. We pray, Father, as he faces the physical battles of recovery, that he faces the physical battles of limitation because of this surgery, that, Father, he would rely and become dependent on your grace so that you might see him through these very difficult days ahead. 
We pray for a strength and recovery, Father. We pray for a restoration of health. We pray for Aurora and Leslie as they suffer through this with him. And then, Father, we look forward to the time when he will be strong enough to rejoin us. Father, we thank you for bringing the visitors. We thank you for Scott and, and Dave and, and those who are able to come with him. We pray, Father, that their visit would be refreshing, that they might see the unity of the Spirit among us. We do so in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.